Hey, it's Robbie Richmond with CultureHackers.com, and today we have our special guest, Jill Richmond. Hi, Jill. Hi, Robbie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jill is a good friend, and we always riff on great conversations. And as you guys know, Culture Hackers is really my experiment in just randomness and having fun exploring culture. There isn't a set script. There isn't set talking points. I just have loved podcasts that are really great conversations and those are the best ones and you get to overhear all kinds of things so i like to have interesting people on and jill that's why you're here i feel very lucky to be here i feel and i think that we've said this before this feels like a little bit of coffee talk between the richmonds (laughs) which (laughs) i'm i've been looking forward to for a long time so you know we're making it happen Awesome. <laughs> I'm like oddly nervous. Are you? Yeah. Uh, maybe it's because I, I, this is the first time I have the full studio set up before it was yeah. just really hacked amateur together. Yeah. No, now, this feels really professional. Now it's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you've made it. You've done a good job of making me feel like I'm in a professional studio. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So what can you, what do you want to tell the audience about you? Uh, you know, I would say, um, I have an interesting background, you know, I came from the world of, um, from development and, um, made a major life and career change and moved into a completely new growing sector called food and technology. And most of it started from founding a company and, um, have had major life changes over the past year. I moved out to LA and, and, um, I'm starting to work with some really interesting companies in the food and tech space. Yeah. Um, and that sounds really boring. That's no, not the interesting stuff, no, right? Well, you, you want to get to the real we, stuff. We will get to the real stuff. Yeah. But I think it's the, I think the culture of food and what we're talking about here, I mean, so this is Instacart, this is Postmates. These are these new ways of where, um, like, like, what are some examples of these when you when, yeah. when food and tech are coming together? Yeah, so I think you've got the you've, look, you've got the whole meal delivery companies that are raising a, a ton of money right now because people are, don't want to cook at home and they want to have like clean, healthy food. Um, you've got technology which is really supporting the back end of restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got all of the B two B technology. Sorry, you've got the B two B technology that's supporting. Um, you know, suppliers and growers that are that are uh, delivering to restaurants and really sort of like closing that food chain. I want to move my mic a little bit closer. Um, you've got payments, right? You've got you've got companies like that have been acquired by Open Table. So you consider Open Table as some of the major players in the food and tech space that were recently acquired. You know, you've got all of the consumer stuff. You've got the B two B stuff. You've got the stuff that's really helping farmers and growers connect with restaurants. You've got things that are making life easier for people to to not cook anymore, <laughs> or and then and then and then you've got all of the food. Then you've got the, the real food and tech stuff. You've got the Soylent companies, right? Right. So Which I know you you really are like you love or you hate or you. Yeah. So Soylent, everybody is this idea that these guys said they love cooking, but they don't want to do it. How many times is it? Three times seven, twenty-one times a week, mm-hmm. and they put together this shake that supposedly has everything you need: all the fats, proteins carbohydrates, minerals, everything mixed into this one drink. Um, and I tried it and it's pretty weird. And I, and I, and you know, I do a lot of weird stuff and this one totally was really weird. I, I got hung up on the sucralose factor that they're using artificial sweeteners. Yeah. yeah. 
Like, but but what's amazing about this site is that they have a DIY section mm-hmm. where people post all their own recipes. So to me, it's intriguing the ones that are using. But wait, so that but I mean, I'm can, because I yeah. thought the DIY site had everything to do with the fact that they couldn't ship, they couldn't ship the product out fast enough for the people who wanted it, and so people started oh. DIYing themselves and saying, "Look, we can hack what the Soylent product actually is." I thought that was a response to this product isn't getting out fast enough to the people who are ordering it. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. know the backstory. Yeah. That sounds like an innovation backstory to it. You yeah, know? totally. Um, so, yeah, well, that intrigued me even more than the product because people were using things like coconut flour, coconut oil, um, you know, beef collagen proteins, these natural things as opposed to some of the more chemical ones like maltodextrin right. and things like that that are right. in Soylent. So, um I'm amused by it. I, I would definitely. I'm. I'm the kind of person where I would love to just have either really amazing meals or this shake that you can just down and know that you're good. Yeah, yeah. Lesser extent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like food, right? So I never, I never want to completely replace. Yeah. You know what I'm eating. It sort of feels like God. My entire life is now destroyed. Right. I want to break bread. Yeah. Um, but that's a whole other story. Um, but look, Soylent is certainly, Soylent is, is one of the major players on the hacking side, right? Yeah. And then you have like, you've got vegan mayonnaise. I mean, so you have the products that are being sort of changed and being trans, you know, made transformative through the actual technology and science of hacking through the production of it. Uh Right. And, um, yeah, so those are, that's, that's the world of food and tech. Got it. Um, and, and Postmates, that's kind of like, that's basically Uber meets food yeah. delivery, right? Well, you've got all of the transportation players, right? The players who are trying to just, you know, the good eggs, right? People who are, who are coming in and saying, let's just get you your products or the, the inventory that you want faster. You've got Amazon Fresh and Amazon Prime. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you've been seeing, I've been seeing kind of a controversy around all of these services. This idea being, some people say this is, this is the greatest thing ever, and it, it, it creates opportunities for people to make money where they wouldn't have before. Yeah. And I've heard other theories saying that they're making so little that we're essentially creating this feudal caste system of those— Of the 1%, right? Of yeah. Of people who really can afford to have— right, Food to... delivered to you, and then sure. these people who are making the scraps sending it over to me. I mean, I see how much they make for taking me my dinner that night, and, and I'm like— Really? That's that, wow. That a lot of people find it worth it. Are we creating a, a, a one expert I know has said that that this is actually going to start to eliminate the middle class. Mm-hmm. That there's just going to be those like kind of making it by with these kind of um, independent services. Like there'll be an Uber driver, there'll be a Postmates driver, they'll be doing all these independent different things to put together a living to serve that one percent. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I would totally agree with really? you. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, it's created. Look, what belies a lot of this is I can afford to pay for my own laziness. <laughs> and here are the 20 different ways that I can afford to pay for my own laziness. And there's an entire service class, as you said, who are willing to profit off of I can afford to pay for my own laziness and every service in between. I can afford to pay for my own laziness because I don't want to drive. I can afford to pay for my own laziness because. I don't want to stay at a friend's. I can rent someone's else, someone else's house. I mean, there is an entire, and I, I, yeah, I would agree with you. But I think on the food, I think on the food and tech side, you're absolutely right because what you end up seeing is that you're squeezing places that are notorious for having little, tiny margins, mm-hmm. restaurants, um, you know, farms, right? Places where 
it really tiny margins. So people are coming in and saying, let's make this, you know, let's, let's get the food into the, into individuals hands faster. We'll take two, 3% off of that when they're making 8%, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would Got agree. It. I'm still playing with the equipment here. Can you lean in a little more yeah, to it? Sure. Like, or maybe scoot your chair up. Scoot my chair up. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That works. Um, yeah, and did you read this article that there's there's an Uber driver? It's a the the title of it is Uber driver makes, makes two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. So for everybody who doesn't know, it's this guy who sells jewelry, and it's he's brilliant because he doesn't push it on anyone. He just includes it all over the car. He doesn't bring it up unless you bring it up. And he's I guess in San Francisco, and he's driving around all these tech magnets, and they see it and they want it, and they they buy this really expensive jewelry. But he's a, just a really nice guy. He doesn't push it on anyone. Only will talk about it if you ask about it. Um, I wonder, is that going to happen? Are more people going to innovate on that and somehow combine business? It makes me want to go be an Uber driver and maybe I'll be driving around some executive myself. I'll talk to them about my culture development well, work. And- yeah, I was going to say, and then will you make them bulletproof coffee in the car? <laughs> <laughs> because I would pay for that. If the service comes with bulletproof coffee, That's you know. brilliant. Like the entire, I want the whole service that's happening for me to get from point A to point B. Oh, by the way, let me tell you about sort of, let me tell you about the cultural blueprint. And also, why don't Mm. we just discuss biohacking? (laughs) Right. And also drink your bulletproof coffee and how do you feel at the end of this drive? That's a fascinating idea. I think the only problem with that is just like brewing it, right? Because you got to, you can't like keep it in a container or something. No, you can't. You can't. No, there's, there's Mm. no way to do this, but... You know, <laughs> I like the way you think because about creating an experience. Yeah. You know, I, I even get impressed when the Uber driver just has, has water and candies and things like that. And you're yeah. talking about taking that to the next level. So now I'm going to be thinking. How I totally do I create want... an entirely different, did I tell, but I, did, I'll tell you a funny story or an interesting story. Yeah. So when I launched my old company called Chef Table, mm-hmm. we partnered with Uber. And so part of the experience was letting the customer know that we really were, without saying it to them, we really were the Uber of fine dining. Yeah. So we launched, we partnered with Zagat, and we partnered with Uber. And people who won the experience were told they were going to have dinner. They had an Uber driver that was going to go and drop them off at a restaurant. They were going to have a seven-course dining experience, and it was fully paid for. What ended up happening is they were given – they were everyone was individually given an Uber car. And, um, and an Uber driver. They were dropped off at the first location. And they ended up doing seven locations of each restaurant where a chef was coming out and serving them one course. They did a progressive dinner with our Uber driver. So we had 40 Uber drivers taking individuals to each location where chefs were coming out and serving. And inside the vehicle, we partnered with – I mean, it was just to create like a fun, you know, a fun experience, right, yeah. to like make the connection mentally – we partnered with DC Shorts. So when you got into the car, you watched a short as you were heading to your next location. It was just a great, you know, it was a unique experience, right? Yeah. Anyway. That's really cool. It was fun. Fun. Huh. Did you video any of it or take pictures? I have or... pictures. That's yeah. really neat. Yeah. So, like, what, 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 where's your startup muscle right now? Like, are you, are you thinking of ideas? Are you, <laughs> atrophy. Is it atrophy? Is it I think it needs, I think it's, um, I've ha- it has a little adrenal failure right now. My startup, my startup body needs a little bit. Yeah. I think I need about a year and a half, yeah. right, of just getting out of the fatigue. I'm happy to work for other companies that are building. You know, I'm, I'm happy to work for other entrepreneurs right now. Right. And then take about a year and a half off. 
yeah. put a little bit of money behind me and then and then look at the next the next company. Yeah, I could see you being a really great support for an entrepreneur. Like you keep them grounded. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Dude, there's this article out, I don't know if you've seen it, it um it, it it goes through what the pitches would be like on Shark Tank. Yeah. If today have you seen this? No. Of today's successful entrepreneurs were to go on it and how it would be a nightmare. Right. So they, they, they imagine Elon Musk going up there and saying, so um, I'm going to create an elect- right. electric car. <laughs> right. And then they're being like, what, what do you need that for? There's a Prius. There's the Chevy Volt. We don't need this. And he goes, well, I think we do. I think we need a luxury one. It's going to cost $100,000. Um, he, he goes through it all. And, totally. and, and you realize it would make no sense, sense on Shark Tank and they would shoot it all down. Right, right. It's brilliant. Yeah. I've seen them do similar things with kind of uh, like the original pitches with Airbnb, right? The original pitches yeah. with all, right? Oh, yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh, oh my right, God. right, right, right. Yeah. With Airbnb. So, the, yes. Oh, so strangers will go in your house? Well, what could... is the regulation on this? Like, this is absurd. I mean, and, you know, and in New York, I, we don't understand, you know, and, and really regulation was like the centerpiece, right? And the same, any of the sharing, the sharing services, right? Like, come people come into your house and have dinner? Yeah. And obsessed with regulation, right? And, right. You know, anyway. Yeah, so they, they they wouldn't make them, and that's that's why I don't think I'd want to go on a show like Shark Tank. It, it constantly amazes me. You take a show like American Idol, one of the most successful, most profitable shows on all time, and there was something like about four networks that turned it down. Yeah, that said this is this is a stupid idea. Right, right. What is that like? Why? And 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 what 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 really fascinates me is wondering when do you know. When it's a really good thing versus when it is really a stupid idea. And if you were to go forward with it, you'd lose a lot more time and money. Right. Because there must be, you know, 80, 90% of the ideas they hear they must think are bad. Oh, on Shark Tank? On any on any, on any, any, of these. any right. pitcher, any, anybody who's an investor. You know, so what makes that difference between when, you, when you're pounding the pavement and trying to get money and saying, no, 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 I know this will work. When are you just really nuts and out of your head versus when you're the next Elon Musk or the next American Idol or, or the next even four-hour work week that had to pitch 27 different publishers before finally getting one yeah. and saying, no, I'm really on to something? What is that distinction? I don't know. And this is maybe so out of left field for me. But I always think that it's like the people that you align yourselves with. Like you have in, or- in order to get credibility, mm. like screw this. The idea may suck. I've got to find – Someone to align myself with that is going to help me create some credibility, albeit personal, because often this is an old, this is, this is small boys club, right? When you're trying to go out and raise money. And it's like, if I can align myself with this person, that person, or that person, those are the companies that end up getting funded. It's sort of like, like, what's an example of that? I saw a company, I'm not going to name names, (laughs) that is the identical company as my old company that just closed 15 million yeah and when i say it was identical i mean every value proposition and it just so happens very well connected with some of the uber players and some of the uber investors and just happened to raise the right amount of money i mean and you know again i will i'm not going to underestimate this i think a lot of it has to do with execution and proving execution, right? And and having the team to prove execution, all of those things that you know. Yeah. But come on, right? I looked at the investors and I thought, this has to be, it has a lot to do with aligning yourselves with the right people. It's sort of like, mm. you know, I always tell the story about Albrecht Muth, who was like this German soldier in 
in DC, right, who basically married this DC socialite who was like 98 years old, right? And he feigned he was an Iraqi soldier. And he got access. This is recent, by the way. He got access to every major reporter. He, this, the intel that he was sharing with these reporters was false, P.S. And it had everything to do with the people he was aligning himself with. He ended up killing this. I mean, so, and I've told this story again and again because it has everything to do. I mean, this is a terrible example. <laughs> I'm really off in like never, never land, but bear with me. And it has everything to do with creating credibility, his yeah. own like small network of credibility, right? And you think about these companies that end up getting funded. I always wonder like, did you just have the right person on the advisory board? Mm. I mean, right? Did you just happen to know the right investor to to, to talk to who said, I'm going to help you close this round? Yeah. That's a good point. I'm throwing my money in, and I have the credibility to throw. I mean, this is an obvious point to make, and you know this when it comes to sort of clout, but... Right. Yeah. Yeah. What like what else have you seen? I'm, I'm curious about the, the, the connecting habits between these successful people who make it work. Like, so for example, I've seen it. I think I definitely Steve Jobs, definitely Tony Shea of Zappos. Um, they, they, they take walks, you know, mm -hmm. they rarely will have a meeting, um, one-on-one -on -one that isn't that Tony Shea of Zappos would park his car as far as he could from the office yeah. to have that walk because there's something about that where you, you get the space and time to really think and really have ideas coalesce. You don't have a notebook in front of you. You don't have a computer screen, which probably kills bad ideas right in front of you, right? Like, I'm curious about those kind of things, those things you don't hear about in their speeches when they say, you got to follow your dreams, you got to be passionate, and you got to have great, t you know, all that stuff that we all know. Mm. What are those little things that people do that makes them successful that we can learn from? Like, have you seen any of those kind of things? I, I mean, I've seen tons of those things, right? I've seen the habits of like morning routines, which are like the consistency of morning routines. Right. And I appreciate that you are interested in that. Yeah. I always say it's like when you ask a writer, what is your writing routine? Mm -hmm. And they turn around and they say, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what does it matter to you what my writing routine is? What matters to my writing routine matters to my writing routine because I have uh, interesting story to tell and I have content and I am a decent writer. My routine is my routine and it keeps me habitual in my own writing. Yeah habit right yeah. like waking up in the morning and maybe i do my laundry and then i sit down and i lock myself in a room for two hours or i turn my cell phone off what does it matter and i appreciate that they're all like components of success mm -hmm. but i often think that like that there's something that belies that more than just the out the, the external pieces of how do i build a routine of success or a habit of success i mean it's important to know i've seen more, more, more than anything else, I think the thread has always been creating like a really solid morning habit, like meditating in the morning, you know, all those things that you know to do, clear your head, turn your technology off, right. like get into a space where you can think outside of pragmatism, right? That's the whole point, right? right. That you're open and you're ready and you're available. Well, those, I, to me, that's everything. And, and what, what I don't know what to think about is this millennial generation because you and I we we grew up seeing this all happen and coming in and getting used to life with it versus without it like the millennials today are growing up where they were always on mm -hmm. you know and they're they're never shutting off I mean I, I remember hearing somebody say they did a poll to see how many millennials slept with their their cell phones on their night table I do and well this is the interesting thing a lot of millennials said no you know why because they sleep with them in their bed. 
<laughs> not on the nightstand. That's why they said, no, it's not on my nightstand. But then did they ask why? I mean, we, we know the reasons why. Yeah. But... And like, like, I wonder if they would have a sheer out panic attack if you took out their, took away their phone for two days. Oh, absolutely. Have you had your phone taken away for two days? Yeah. Okay. And you were fine. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I actually, you know me, I seek panic attacks to a certain degree. Like, you do. I think, I think that it's not a bad thing when you challenge your comfort zone and when you do things that make you scared and that it's actually an excitement and a feeling alive. Um, but to me, it's also, it's just in the beginning. And then you're like, your body stuff starts freaking out and says, oh, wait, this is, this is okay. This is fine. Yeah. I, look, I agree with you. I mean, I happen to fall somewhere in the millennial. Mindset. Oh yeah, you're kind of on that edge, huh? I'm. Well, no. I mean, am I am I a millennial? I don't know. No, you're the same age as I am. So. Okay. Are, do you consider yourself? No, a I'm definitely not. I'm no. I'm I'm between Gen X and Gen, Gen y. y. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, we're about the same age. So. Got it. <laughs> so I'd be lying to you if I said I was, but I sleep with my phone in my bed. Do you really? Yeah, and I know. Why? It's a good question. I ask myself all the time. I. I think I'm all. There is something. There's something anxiety ridden about feeling like I'm going to, this is a fear of missing out notion. Like someone, FOMO. something is going to happen. Yeah. I don't know what that, if you ask me, if you broke that down a little bit further, what do you think is going to happen? I have no idea. I mean, I actually, I, I, I put my, pl my phone in airplane mode at night. So not only do I sleep with it, I make sure that no Wi-Fi waves are going to hit me and disturb my, my sleep or my dreams. And that my, my belief is if you've got an emergency, I've got, I've got no wife, no kids, right? So it might be a different scenario, but if anybody's got an emergency, they've got 911. Yeah. You know, I am asleep. I'm taking care of myself. Right. Um, maybe that's crazy selfish of me. I don't know. Well, I will say this much, and and this may be this. I don't know if this is true. I mean, I did take care of a family member last year who was very very yeah. sick, yeah. and I was also in crisis mode. So yeah. I stayed in crisis mode. I I think this is still residual crisis mode. Like I, um, the phone is yeah. always right. Yeah, totally. But that's a whole other story. So you're right. I mean, I need to figure out a completely new habit, yeah. right? Because I know that this habit is probably not doing anything positive for me. Well, right? I mean, what would happen? Have, have you tried just like throwing your phone in the living room for while you're sleeping? Never. Are, are you going to try it now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a panic attack all night. It was terrible. I hate you, Robbie. <laughs> the thought gives me agita, but yeah, I, I think I should. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. But I mean, it's like an appendage now. I read this article too recently. It was talking about, I forget the language it exactly used, but it's, it, 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 it made this notion that we are powering Facebook. We are powering Google. Like, like this, these aren't our photo albums. This is Facebook saying, thank you for powering the world photo book that we are creating. And we're kind of addicted to feeding this machine. Well, we're totally addicted because we get instant edification. Right. Right? This, like, desire and this need to have instant edification. Yeah. Like, I was listening to NPR earlier and someone was saying, you know, you know when you are having a moment, you're really angry about something and you're seething about it and we're sitting down, we're having this conversation and you say, Robbie, or you say, Jill, it's okay. You're right. You're absolutely right. I can get that multiplied times 200 on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And that, to me, is edifying, right? right. Like, that I, did, I ab absolutely crave that kind of edification. 
right about opinions thoughts feelings desires etc i mean that like that gives me a platform to have instant edification multiplied times 100 yeah what do you what do you think the cost of that is um Uh, I think the cost to that is individual self-actualization. <laughs> Go for it. I want to hear a rant on that one. I mean, you know my whole philosophy about sort of, or maybe, I mean, don't. I've given, no, I've never given this to you. I mean, I just, I just feel like we don't, there's a part of growing up, right? Growing up process teaches you stop desiring edification from other people. Uh. Right? Like, your feelings are legitimate. Yeah. Trust them. You don't need Facebook. I mean, this is so obvious. This is like something your mother would sit down and be like, Robbie, (laughs) (laughs) you know, don't be so needy for other people to edify your feelings, right? And, you know, you kind of have to go through this self-actualization process, which is, I know who I am. I trust that. I trust that this feeling is legitimate. Yeah. I don't need 20 other people to tell me that I had road rage. You know, I mean, this this is a, a, like a less important example, but I think that it, it's the cost to it is your own personal self-actualization, that you don't need your, you don't need a quorum, <laughs> you know, to determine whether or not that you're valued. Valued. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's really, really interesting. I thought of it from the perspective of, when we when we get so many quick little energy hits, like little sugar bits, yeah, it means we're missing out. Like kind of like what you're saying on on the bigger nutrition. And right. to me, well, my personal experience of it has been that it siphons energy from larger projects because anything larger is going to take more devotion of time, more separation from that, more focus. And that the more I'm on Facebook or liking or putting things up or getting these short term hits. I'm taking away attention from any kind of long-term project. And long-term projects that have slower burn time, that they're just slower burn rates. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's like popping your candy corn and you know, that gives you instant buzz. Right. Popping candy corn? I mean, I don't know. I'm like sitting, sitting over Halloween and like eating candy corn Uh, sort of gives you this instant sugar rush. yeah. 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 As opposed to, you know sitting and having a nutritious meal and saying like, I feel like I have a baseline of feeling good. Right. You know? Well, bringing it back to food where we were before. So, you know, the ketogenic diet. Yeah. Right. So it's this whole very, very high fat diet. Um, they compare that to uh, throwing logs on a fire as opposed to little bits of kindling of right. wood. That The right. little bits of kindling are like um, carbs. Right. Right. And that the, the high fat is, is like, do you see any kind of connection between that? The ketogenic, slower burning, less sugar kind of diet with with what's going on with, with the, the, I don't even know if there's a connection here, but with the Facebook, with that, with what feels like the high sugar bits. Does that make any sense? Am I making no sense? I no. sound like really stupid. Uh, no, it's not. You're just making a metaphor. Okay. Yeah. Trying to. No, it's it's a metaphor. Okay. I mean, it definitely is a metaphor. It's like there is a direct correlation to um, craving external, like, yeah, because this, look, this all affects our, our hormone levels and our regulation, right? And there's, there is a connection. Like, we get we get instant edification on Facebook or or we get instant gratification through sugar, right? As mm-hmm. opposed to kind of being on a level baseline. And 
having yeah there, there was a connection yeah <laughs> if i've just <laughs> as i drink my bulletproof coffee yes hoping for my my baseline i you know because the thing is for when i'm drinking bulletproof i don't get the same sugar craving that i do if i don't have it yeah I mean, I, I don't have Bulletproof often only because my pro- my only problems with Bulletproof coffee are really my problems with caffeine, that I don't want to get addicted to caffeine. That's fair. Um, but as Bulletproof, as the high-fat method, you know, I I don't have that same intense chocolate craving. Yeah. So. They make something at Erwan that I was going to tell you you oh, should yeah? try, What's which this? is the most delicious thing I've ever had in my entire life. It's um, So it's probably not as highly caffeinated. Uh-huh. They call it a... It sounds sexual. It's not. They call it a golden latte. <laughs> I saw that. That looked good. It's truly delicious. I mean, so it's uh, their version of chai, right? Uh-huh. And then they add, um, oh God, turmeric, uh-huh. right? So it's their version of chai, turmeric, and then it's grass-fed butter and their MCT oil. Right. It's delicious. Yeah. And I imagine it's not as... The, the Yeah. The, the one reservation I had about that one is they do seem to add, some, I think, some honey or agave or something to it. It's not sweet. It isn't? No. Huh. Or you can tell them not okay. to. I mean, it's not the, sweet. The interesting thing I found about some people, do when I've asked, there's there's a small percentage of Bulletproof coffee drinkers who I've talked to, and they said, yeah, I started to get fat on it. Yeah. But then I asked them, did you add sugar to it? And yes. they said, oh, yeah. A little, little bit. bit. And it somehow combines, and like the sugar makes the fat stick or something. No, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what you, you, you have to absolutely stay away from like eating carbohydrates, right? When you're having any sugar while you're, you're on the Bulletproof. Right. I mean, that's his whole yeah. method, right? Yeah. Um, if they do, you should tell them not to put it in there. But again, a high price tag. <laughs> Oh, what is that like a fifteen dollar drink? It's like a ten dollar. I mean, you know, it's a te- it's still a ten dollar coffee. I mean, I again, who? Like, yeah, it's so expensive there. You'd expect to go in there and find famous people all around or something. You no, know, like, you you don't. You, no, no, I haven't. Have you? No, no, I haven't. But it's just so expensive that you'd think this is like the. They're definitely beautiful people all over there. Yeah, but. Uh, are they the ones who are buying the $18 paleo bread? Because... I think they must be. You know, I think you just don't see celebrities around anymore. I grew up here in L.A., and it used to be that you run into them all over the place. Wait, have you not heard my, like, my past week? Oh, did you have a big sightings? I've had many, <laughs> and I'm trying not to be that person. But in the same week, I went to the Korean spa, Yeah. dropped my robe, <laughs> only to see Rachel Hunter next to me. Ah. And I thought, oh, crap. Christ. I mean, if I was ever insecure, now I'm really insecure. <laughs> and um, and then, what was it? Like a day later, I walked into any regular yoga studio that I always go to, and Charlize Theron was next to me. Mm-hmm. And then I went over to your favorite place, um, Cafe Gratitude, mm-hmm. and Kylie Minogue is sitting to my right, and Moby is all the oh, way Moby's in the good, corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a funny story about Moby. I'll tell you really quickly. Okay. The story about Moby, so this is... 12 years ago, I'm in New York, and um, I'm at a bar in Tribeca, and I'm sitting with a friend. It's an empty bar. Someone's on my left, and I look up at this person, and I turn to my friend, and I go, oh, I think Moby's sitting next to us. And she turns to me, and she goes, dipshit, that's Michael Stipe. (laughs) He hears, and he goes, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you... Mortified. And so now this is kind of a running joke. Every time I see Moby, I'm, I'm determined to one day just say to a friend, I think that's um, Michael Stipe. Mm. I don't think he'd be as offended as Mo- as uh, Michael Stipe was that I called him Moby. <laughs> right? <laughs> so 
Yeah. That's anyway, really way off topic. But um Well, you were just a celebrity hag, aren't you? Yeah, well no, I mean it's <laughs> hag. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Um but you were just you were making a point that you I well, you counter pointed my point. My well, well I grew up here in LA and it mm. seemed like you, you would see them all the time at a at a restaurant, even at Starbucks. I remember walking in and there was Christian Slater and um um, Rob Lowe just standing there talking and it's LA. So back at that point, nobody would even harass them or even talk to them because it's just assumed there are celebrities here. They do their thing. We do ours. You can kind of say something to the side. Um, I remember even being at the airport, you know, and Tom Hanks was on our, our flight. Like now it just seems that the paparazzi thing is so insane yeah, yeah. that you just don't see them everywhere. I heard at the Grove because they have a paparazzi free zone there. Oh, they do. But otherwise they're all flying private. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're staying out of the way, it seems. Not Charlie Theron or Rachel <laughs> Hunter. <laughs> and now you guys are BFF? Uh, no. No. <laughs> she, she was like... You should have shared all your insecurities. That would have gotten you closer. That, we, that would have made us much closer. All right, speaking of yeah. that, yeah. like, this is what I want to talk about. Yeah. Like, this might even turn into therapy for, for Robbie or something. Sure, go for it. So, you know, I'm trying out the stand-up comedy uh-huh. class, and I quit and I've gone back. Mm-hmm. Because so it started out. It's amazing woman, Bobby Oliver. She's got this book, The Tao of Comedy, and she brings in these Taoist Zen principles of how the comedy comes from the silence, from the pauses to to connecting with yourself, connecting with the audience, and that it's more about these energetic principles to find the joke, to find the funny, than it is technique mm-hmm. and jokes and specific things like that. And so I was so riled up for the class, like, oh, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I want to do this and I want to be funnier, right? And um, then for me, it got really dark. dark. You know, because I realized this is an industry filled with people who, who can be pretty depressed, a lot of drug usage. Um, there's it, comedians often don't laugh a lot, they're just looking at the jokes. And, um, and on top of all that, it takes years and years. And years to get an act down, mm-hmm. right? Um, and part part of me was seriously like, "F that," you know. With, with with public speaking, it makes me realize how much easier public speaking is. So many people are scared of it. It's nothing compared to comedy, totally. right? Yeah. Like if you've got a good story, you can get up there and tell. You can hold an audience's attention. You can knock it out of the park, out of the gate. There is that chance mm-hmm. in public speaking. In comedy, the best of the best are saying, no, bro, this will take you 10 years. Mm-hmm. You're not coming out of the gate straight funny for an hour. There's no chance. Mm-mm. And that's really depressing. But what part is depressed? I mean, you, you've called it a dark art, right? Mm-hmm. So you've like found a lot of elements of this whole comedic process depressing, including the fact that it requires this whole notion of observational humor, which requires you... To constantly be picking apart little situations and scenarios to create really good bits. Right. Right. I mean, that therein lies for you the dark art, right? That, like, and I, and I, and I'm curious, like, what. Well, so this is, let me tell you how she got me back with this. So I quit the class and I told her that. And she said, you're overthinking it. Yeah. I said, that sounds like a lot of my life. So maybe there's a place to explore this here. And she said, come back. I promise we'll work with this. We can, you'll get through this. It's, and, um, um, I took a jog that day and I said, you know what? This could be an exercise in commitment for me. Mm-hmm. I went halfway through. I could take it all the way through. It's not going to kill me. No. And then once I did that, 
on this run, jokes started to come into my head in a real easy, light way. And I went into the class, and she said, remember, I told you at the beginning that comedy can drive you absolutely crazy if you let it. Right. And she said, there's this thing called the voice, you know, that ego, that thing that yells at you for everything. She said, if you don't complete this, I, I, I have a feeling the voice is not going to let you off the hook. It's going to say, you never even tried. You never even went on stage. You never took five minutes to go on stage and just try this out. Totally. And that, that really got to me. Yeah. Um, and so I went back. And this, this net last class was really good because we did writers. Good. She spoke the language of Robbie oh, Ego. Oh, she did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And we go back and we do writers groups yeah. for the jokes. Yeah. And it was really it was really powerful to to bring the group dynamic because it feels so lonely up there. Yeah. And that's why I love improv so much. Right. But what we did was workshopped our jokes, mm-hmm. which were which were awesome. So I started going into this bit. This is horrible. You know, you become a horrible person, I think, as <laughs> totally. a stand-up comedian. Because I go into this this bit that I was playing with about how um um that I really want to be in a relationship, yeah. but that once I do, like as guys, we've spent so much time trying to get the girl and and or get a girl even, right. and then once we do, finally we have that peace, that confidence, a woman backing us up in a career that we're kind of like, whoa, now I've got what it takes to get any girl. Like now I can go out now and you really can get shop any, now I can shop myself around. Right. And there, I didn't know what to do with that, but the class is working on it. And then Bobby says, she just comes in with a bit. She goes, yeah, so I, I can't wait to get into uh, uh, um, a <laughs> – she said, I, I really want a girlfriend because I can't wait to cheat. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and she just finessed it down to that. And it was amazing to work in a group that way. So yeah. I'm finding parts of it I like. I don't know where I'm going with it. But you're committing to it. I'm committing you're to committing it. You're committing to it, which is kind of the deal, right? It's right. like you, where you're going with it is you're committing to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's, I mean, I've said to you, like, when we were talking this morning, I was saying, I mean, this to me was hilarious, right? That I woke up one morning and I turned around to the person that I'm seeing right now and I just said, do you know what I really want? (laughs) They were like, what? I was like, I want to be roasted. Mm -hmm. And they were like, like, what what do you mean, Jill? Like, spitfire roasted? And I was like, no, no, like... Like, I have spent Rotisserie my life, roasted. he was like, this sounds filthy. And I was like, no, I've <laughs> spent my life being in a family or where one person in my family, like their, yeah. you know, their language of adoration was, was taking the piss out of you. I mean, really, like, right. but constantly, right? So you were roasted on a daily basis. Yeah. And that's how you knew you were really loved, right? Yeah, you got the attention. And um, and I was just saying that I would I would give my eye tooth for for someone to sort of roast me but how do you you know what do you just like you can't ask for someone to to schedule a roasting but what i was going to say was the flip side to the dark art Mm -hmm. and this is where it comes back the flip side to the dark art because i had to think about it a little bit was someone knows you well enough like when you get roasted someone knows you well enough to know all of your like really obnoxious peccadillas but they know where the threshold is right where it's like they have studied you. They have observed your qualities enough where they know the set, the humor is, mm-hmm. the white lie is, uh-huh. right? And like, and where the line is and the boundary is. Like, cause the right, the, the best way to get roasted is they know exactly what's not going to hurt you, but what's going to make you laugh. Right. Right. And there's nothing dark about that, actually. Right. There's something really intimate about that. Very. Very intimate. Very. Anyway. Yeah. 
I think I could roast you, but I'd have to make up a lot of stuff. You would because you don't know me well enough. Yeah. Right? So, like you'd have to you'd have to have some like really good history mm-hmm. of like just dipshitty things that I do and But I could make up stuff yeah. that people would find funny and they'd be like and then you, you'd be confused, but the rest of the audience would be like, Wow, I didn't realize Jill was that freaky. <laughs> I think you could take a lot from what you know and turn it into straight up hyperbole, right? Like that's True. the whole deal. And it could kind of sound legitimate. Yeah, totally. totally. Can we schedule this? Can that would be cool. You know, who, you know who the roast master would be? Who? Michael J. Liskin. Really? Because <laughs> he, he would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, he totally He'd drop would. his whole schedule. I'd love it. <laughs> I'd love it. I'd love it. Really. I'm just gonna put it out there, you know, for the feet. I hear the future. you. You're putting out to to my my massive audience of three people, um, who <laughs> who could make this happen. Maybe. So. Yeah. Hey, if you wish it. I th- I think there is a magic to talking things into existence. Of um. You know, there's one thing to talk about. I, I I don't think it works well when you start when you're talking about the thing that you're quote unquote working on, and then all you're doing is talking about that rather yeah. than working on it. But something that that is out of your control, yeah, I think you can talk into existence. Totally, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. That's why I put it I put it out there. Cool. Um, Maybe we could do in like an online version. It could be the the Google Hangout of roasts. <laughs> Good. Then I can have my East Coast posse come in for it because they'll they'll really go to town. <laughs> Which would, uh, and, and you know what? I would, this is the sad, and I shouldn't say this to your pot, you know, I'd want to sleep with all of them. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to know the way to get into my heart. Yeah. That's it. So so your band would be like Jill and the (laughs) ex-lovers. It's like Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, Jill and the ex-lovers. That was my mother's funeral, so. What? <laughs> Did I tell I told you? Literally, it was like every ex-boyfriend oh. under the sun turned up, and it was like a David Sedaris, like, you know, I like looked up, and I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> All in the same row, you know, because they really liked my mother, you know? Wow. Like, <laughs> That's really touching in a way, huh? Super sweet, but like, definitely, a com- it was a comedic moment, you know, you look up, and you're like. Yeah. So on this podcast, I get yeah. to you know experiment and play with things because sure. so few people are listening, and and it's it's so early stages of this thing. So I tend to speak my mind with with the blog. I haven't I haven't spoken this blog post yet. I've I've written it, um, but I want to get your take on it because I'm I'm really intrigued by this trend that we saw from the CNN article, yes. and now this New Yorker article, yeah, um, basically legitimizing psychedelics, great, and. That Tim Ferriss said most billionaires take it. NYU is finding NYU and Johns Hopkins are doing studies, studies right. finding that it's working well for anxiety and depression for long term use without changing the brain over. Um, and I, I want to talk about it, but part of me feels like I'm 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 outing myself in a way if I if I do this or alienating certain people um, if 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 they are very anti with mm-hmm. this. But I just find it really intriguing what part do you think is intriguing that because it's not it's not this is not new right right? this notion that people are using psychedelics or drugs certain manufactured drugs not even psychedelics are being used for to treat depression or to treat you know like you look at something like um you know molly or you know that was being used really for um for therapy sessions yeah 
right? Yeah, successfully like, so, yeah. Very successfully, yeah. But anyway, sorry, go. Well, my fascination with it is, um, to me, the, the, the fascinating thing about drugs is that they're all playing on things that you already have in your own body. I mean, we're, we're, we're drinking the coffee right here right now, right? The energy we get from that is it taps our own adrenal glands. Mm-hmm. It, the pituitary gland says, what's going on here? And it, it gets more uh, more adrenaline. And when it comes to uh, cocaine, that's dopamine. Amphetamines, that's dopamine. Um, Prozac, it's using your own serot- – it's hacking into your own serotonin usage. Right. It's, so these drug experiences are tapping into things that we already have naturally. And what I'm curious about – But psychedelics is slightly different, right? Well, that's what they used to think, right. but now there have been these um, these studies that, like, especially with uh, done on mushrooms, psilocybin, mm-hmm. that they do, and like an MRI kind of uh, brain scan. Mm-hmm. It might not be MRI or CAT scan or one of the other ones, um, where they noticed that it depresses certain brain activity, mm-hmm. which feeds into this idea that the brain is less of a computer processor and more of a filter. Hmm. And that all those things that people are seeing are actually going on in reality, but our brain is a really good filter, which is why these people who are drug addicts, alcoholics, etc., can be going crazy because their filter is now broken, and now they're seeing all those things, and they're right. not quite operating so well in society. Right. So even even with these psychedelics, this idea is that it might not be using your brain chemistry, but it's it's suppressing certain areas of the brain that allow inputs to happen that otherwise wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and my fascination with it is how can we create that or maybe how is it even already going on? Like I – when I was at Zappos, this this group came in that was a spiritual group that said they had a spiritual experience at Zappos. Mm-hmm. They said they were blown away by the dynamics and the happiness and the connections and they, they, they called it a spiritual experience. And what I've been doing with these open space events is is there's a certain magic that happens in the group. People are crying. People are connecting. People are – these are happening on these, these levels um, – where a self-organization is emerging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm fascinated by by this new emerging reality, for lack of a better term. Sure. But so – and so what's interesting to you that that the, the, possi- oh, the possibility of having experiences that can actually happen in your waking life, that can happen differently when you're, you're not suppressing – your, your, your mind is not necessarily suppressing particular filters and the possibility that can happen professionally. I mean, what, what's the, I don't know. I, I've been recently obsessed with this concept of like Michelangelo was the David. So he was asked how he did it, right? The, the big statue. And he said, I, it was easy. I, I just took away any piece that wasn't David was in there. Mm-hmm. I just took away every piece that wasn't the David. I took away all that extra rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so my belief more and more is that everybody has what they need mm-hmm. and that every organization has what they need. And whether it be an offsite, a drug, an experience, um, something happens that takes away this external layer where people say, oh, I'm good. I have what I need and and I don't need anything. Because I, I feel like so much harm is happening when we're trying to get something Mm-hmm. from someone else or something else mm-hmm. rather than inside. It's what you talked about with the validation, yeah. right? Like 
I, I run into this, and I had this myself as an entrepreneur at certain points, is you're starting this business to feel something inside that you feel that you're lacking. Yeah. And, oh, if I get this billion dollars, or, oh, if I get famous, or, oh, if I get this praise, or, oh, if I get this this launch of this product, I will finally be able to feel this thing inside. Right, that's and absolutely that, right. And that a huge shift in our society can happen if people, like you said, get that internally. And then what do we create from there? Right. That's fascinating. No, that's actually yeah. a spot. That's very poetic, and that's a very... It's an absolutely spot on point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but what if it, I mean, what, you know, you're, do I want to out you? Do I, am I outing you? <laughs> no, go for you it. You just outed yourself. Yeah. So, but what have been, I mean, look, from someone who has always experimented with lots of things, but has never experimented with LSD, mm-hmm. have you ever had a breakthrough moment that's been entirely transformative that you can say, look, it was because I was, I was on psychedelics. Um, no, no, let me add the distinction too that I've, I've never done LSD. I've tried mushrooms a couple times, which is very natural. Um, LSD is chemically synthesized. Um, so to me, there could be a big difference there. Anytime I've heard of a really, really bad thing happening, it's been, I've heard about it with LSD, not with, exactly with, with, with mushrooms. Um, something direct. No, it's just, it's just for me, giving me this affirmation that things are okay, that everything's, that there's a larger order to things, that things are happening according to plan. Um, and I just, to me, oddly enough, I don't get as many huge realizations as much as I do this deep inner sense of peace and relaxation that lasts for a long time after. And for, for me, especially, um, whenever I've done, I've only done it, I think three or four times, Mm. it's come with a lot of fear where to me, it's not quote unquote getting high because it's such intense fear going into it. I know I'm going to shed something off that mm-hmm. I don't need anymore. And it's not the kind of thing where I'm like, oh man, I want to do that next weekend because it's an intense process to go through. And that, that to me differentiates it from other drug experiences where people get it, uh, you know, very addicted to that. Yeah. Should I tell my story? Yeah, go for it. You want the story? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this sounds like, you know, I like this story only because it's the only way that I can relate. Mm. Right. Because, so, very quickly, uh, you know, mother passed away last year. Um, you know, I had been caretaking for with my father for a long time, and um, so also fast forward, my mother passes away. She makes a decision, or we make a decision. We're not going to sit shiva in the house, and so you know, the few nights before, I was exhausted. I mean, I was up the entire time and. So my mother passes away. I go to the funeral. We are not sitting Shiva. So that means there's nothing in the house except insure, you know, in terms of food. And I go to the funeral and I come back and I just, you know, it's like, it's surreal, right? So <laughs> I, uh, I I look in the refrigerator. I, I come back to the house. I had a very long day um, and I open the freezer and the only thing in the freezer is pot brownies. And like super strong, medical grade, blow your socks off, pot brownies and insure. And I'm just like, I'm tired and I'm really sad. And I'm like, I don't even know. I'm exhausted. And I decided, you know what? I think maybe I should have a pot brownie. Oh, so you knew it was one. I thought you didn't know till after you ate it. Oh, no, I knew. Oh, you, I had knew, no you just idea. didn't know how powerful it was. I had no idea. Right. And I was so stupid because I <laughs> ate the whole thing. <laughs> On an empty stomach. I'm like, no sleep for a week. Right. I think that that's like, isn't that like the dosage for two 300-pound men, essentially? Totally. Yeah. I mean, and I was like, 
first of all, I've never been so stoned in my entire life. But the point of the story is that in that 24 hour <laughs> period <laughs> of being blow your socks off stoned, like couldn't move. I had a, and I don't know, I mean, no, I'm not this type of person. I had a full-fledged conversation with my mother. Mm-hmm. Very intense, like very um, reconciling kind of conversation with my mother to the point at which, I don't know if I didn't have that experience if I would be a year on in a much clearer, like it was a necessary conversation. And so... Do I think that it created vulnerability and access? Who who knows? I mean, I'm not the expert here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just know that I had a very interesting experience. And if I was open to those experiences, who also knows what my life would be, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, I think that there's like a dot, 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 you know, and what was that? Because I had this moment, incredible moment of clarity under a very high experience. Right. And it also sounds like it's one of those things where as great as it was, the negative parts of the physical experience doesn't have you reaching out to do that all the time. No, no. Right. (laughs) So it kind of had this built-in like, okay, you get this now, Jill, but this is going to happen all the time because there's a price that you kind of had to pay physically for that, right? Oh, yeah. The price I had to pay physically was absolutely being petrified that I was going to be stuck in this state forever. I mean, it was... I mean, you know this this moment. Well, you were feeling it for like a day, For a full-fledged day. Yeah. I mean, I could barely open a door without thinking that I was still in this alternative reality. Right. You know? And uh, and looking at my watch and saying 9.58... Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Talking to my mother, oh God, oh God, oh God. 9.59? Oh God. Wow. I'm here for eternity. Did did, did you get thoughts of like, I, I need to go to the hospital or something? Was I did. It... I mean, I had the conversations I had with my mother were, you know, like in the conversation, yeah. quote unquote, my mother was saying to me, I had to leave them here for you. Because if I didn't leave them here for you, I was never going to have this conversation with you. Right. Now. So she must have been pissed when he threw away the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> like a little bit of dump therapy, you know? <laughs> you hear, she's like, wait, no! I wanted those! Those were for you! Do not be such a tight ass all the time! Damn it, Jill! Cue <laughs> like, reading is not spot on, Jill. You know? Anyway, yeah. So funny. But anyway, but I think in going back to your point, you know, there is something like to tie it together. There's something there's something curious and there, which is why are all of these billionaires gravitating towards psychedelics and alternative experiences and how is it enhancing their lives? Right. I think that's what you're trying to because it's it's enhancing their lives in some way, shape or form. Right. Right. Well, I think, I think, and I think that they're doing it. What's what's interesting to me about this new wave of it is that the intention is very different than it's been in the past, in the 60s. Right. Totally. When it was really to just drop out, right? And now Johns Hopkins and NYU are doing it from the perspective of, well, how are we going to heal? Yeah. And these billionaires, one of them was saying that Steve Jobs would do this, but he didn't do pot. He wasn't a drinker. He wasn't all those things. Um, well, this was the guy who was who was 
who was getting high with him, right? I mean, I read... Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, you know, the intention there wasn't really to check out. The intention was to do it not not often, but as the kind of The intention was to check in. Yeah, yeah, just really. Yeah. Um, so to me, that, that makes a huge difference. And I think that what's interesting to me is, is, you know, the word for alcohol is spirits. And what I've heard from that for, for distilled spirits, right? And what I've heard from that is that on a, on a spiritual level, when you black out, that's you creating space for spirits to come in. Mm. You know, when you have those things where, where somebody gets really drunk and does not remember, that's space for you saying, hey, you checked out of your body, another spirit energy can, can come in. Mm. And that's where it gets really dangerous. And maybe even that's behind things like schizophrenia. I don't know. Right. But when it's, when it's abused... I think that that's the big issue is is abuse. Is abuse, yeah. So do, is so. Do you feel like you're going to change your lifestyle to some extent, or you're just curious? No, I'm 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 just curious. You're just curious, yeah. At this point, and and I've I definitely have had addictive emotions, addictive behaviors. Um, I don't think I I could get addicted to any kind of drug or alcohol, um, because I I'd be too scared. <laughs> Yeah, I think right. the neurosis would kick in. It would kick in. It would okay. just stop me every time. Yeah. Um. So I know I'm good with it personally. I I think I per, I I get hesitant talking about or blogging about because I don't want somebody to see um, my work and say, oh, he totally endorses this. I should go out and and right. and do it. And if they do it all the time, I would feel bad that they got that idea from me because that's not what I'm talking about. No. Here. No, and I get that. I don't think that is. I think you're just intensely curious. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. Well, I think we're about at an hour. Going to start wrapping up our show. What wise words of wisdom do you have for our culture hackers, Jill? Be curious enough to check in. I like it. Yeah. I like it. So what's the next thing you're curious about? The next thing I'm curious about, I, I have to say I'm following your curiosity around comedy. Mm, really? I, I am. I mean, I not to sort of like try and do a me too, me too, but... <laughs> There's something there for me, which is like I now feel like I understand myself just like ten times better because yeah. I know that that there is a notion of comedy that is like really important in my life, and I'd have to figure out ways to integrate it into everything that I do. That sounds very vague, but <laughs> but that 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 that's my that's my edification. Like I get something from that. Hmm. That's what I'm curious about. Excellent. Yeah. What are you curious about? Hmm. What's your next? It's it's a good question. I usually I'm just so driven and curious, and I'm I'm kind of in this um, pausing mode right now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm 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 more taking things in and fulfilling on my commitments. You know, to this comedy class, to this 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 other class that I'm teaching at at a university. Yeah. To like finally getting the book out and. um, really fulfilling on commitments that I currently have and how empowering that is. Because for me, I've just found how much, if I don't, it really weighs on my mind. Yeah. Whether I'm conscious of it or not, if I've got an unfulfilled commitment, that's going to hold me back. So right now I'm more in this commitment-filling zone to create space for whatever that's next. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations, because that's a big deal. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, Culture Hackers, thanks for staying with us all the way to the end. Go to culturehackers.com so you can sign up for the updates and be posted when new episodes come out. And we'll be with you next time. Bye. Bye.